Blessings, blessings, friends. This is Pastor Nick Holden at Briggs Chapel. Uh, this morning, we're going to give you a little bit for some to go live with us. Pray each of you are having a good morning. Such a beautiful day today. Glad to see you, Brother Briggs, joining us live this morning. This is a first for us here at the chapel, as well as for myself, of taking a very live. Good to see you, Vivian, this morning. I'm sure some other ones, I see the numbers are starting to add up for those that are watching. Good to see you, Rusty. Glad to see y'all. Sure wish we were in a fellowship this morning with one another. We're trying to make the best out of the situation today. We always love being able to gather with our brethren and celebrate and I get to break bread with one another. Huh? Today was one of those days where we had set aside for a church-wide fellowship. We call them eating meetings, where we get to celebrate in praise and in the promises of God and get to partake of uh, the good stuff. Good to see you, Miss Luke. Good to see you. Yes. Glad to have y'all with us. And... Uh, Sure wish I could see each of you in person this morning, get to hug your neck, but that's obviously not going to happen today, but we still give God the praise and the glory for it, no doubt about it, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. So, like I said, this is uh, a learning experience uh, for me. Uh, of course, we've gone live before with our services, and we record our services and get to celebrate from there. But um, actual online service with our whole group is something that we just hadn't done at this point. We didn't even do it through the midst of COVID stuff. But today is one of those days where uh, we are going to have to. So appreciate y'all's uh, patience, y'all's flexibility, and the opportunity to be able to uh, serve you even today at a distance, but it is a joy to be able to gather with us. Is there anybody, anything uh, that we need to pray over today before we jump in the word for a minute? Anything specific that you can share on here uh, that we can be praying over? Somebody I know will help write some of these things down and pin these. I did bring a, a bulletin in here with me today, so we could always add to that. Okay, good to see you, Sandy. And I'm sure there's some other ones that are going to be on there that it didn't show me when you jumped on. So, but we're glad to have you uh, each that are with us today. I've been enjoying hearing a little bit some of y'all's good eating, and uh, I know y'all gonna to get to enjoy it too. But I had um, prepared. Uh, we got a big old double batch of coleslaw sitting in the refrigerator right now. And uh, also made a big old pot, biggest pot I have, of some chicken and rice soup. And also some cabbage and Koneka sausage. And that cabbage and Koneka sausage tastes pretty, pretty, pretty good when I sampled it earlier. And was looking forward to sharing it with all y'all today. But we understand, we understand uh, how that goes, how that goes. So, but what a sweet joy. It is that we can do this, that we could be praying for one another and continue to uh, connect with each other. And just a specific request that we want to think about today, there's people all over the world, no doubt, who are going through many things and things that are beyond our uh, control. But one thing we can do when we know of them and we hear of them, we can intercede and bring it to him who makes the difference in all situations 
He doesn't always have to free us from what we're going through, but we need him to uh, free us in it so that as we walk through it, we'll be a blessing to him and those that he has around us as well as those he's going to bring into our lives in the coming days. You know about those stones we talk about, how it's the experiences and the difficulties and the troublesome things of life that have a way of working themselves out as like a brook full of water who rolls over the rocks and gets rid of those rough edges. God uses things in our life when he's transforming and renewing us so that we can be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we want to be able to share those stones for other people to put them in their sling so that as they face the giants, around the world that they'll have a nugget of wisdom and in truth to launch at because our our warfare is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers in the darkness of this age and when you think about what's going on around the world currently in multiple places but in specifically uh, with Israel right now they again the little nation of Israel facing another giant that are coming against them and many of these things no doubt are prophetic and I read it in Daniel right now as our chapel family currently is walking through the book of Daniel we up to chapter 8 today being the 8th of October we are looking at some of those things so if y'all take your revelation and just turn to chapter 7 and chapter number 8 because what we have in those two chapters, we see Daniel taking us back. He takes us back to a time previous to chapter 5 and 6 of when he received a word from the Lord, a vision and dreams. And we're not going to get into it in detail, of course, but when you're walking through these two things, he says in the second year, And in the third year of Belshazzar, which would be a great-great-grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. It refers to him as a son and him, Nebuchadnezzar, as a father. But that is nothing out of the norm. That's not even anything out of the norm, not only for that culture then, uh, but often in times today and even from a biblical standpoint, we find this in... Uh, You take, for an example, there was a guy in Israel, Judah, that belonged to the people of God. In Joshua's day, his name was Achan. And Achan went into a place called Jericho when God conquered that land. And Jericho was a a first fruits that belonged to the Lord. That's why he says, everything you find in Jericho belongs to me, belongs to the Lord. It's not for you. Well, Achan saw something that was appealing to him, and he wanted to keep it, so he took it and he hid it. Well, as a result, that led to uh, some defeat in Israel's journey. They got beat by a small country uh, called Ai, and when Joshua went before the Lord and asked him specifically, why did this happen the way that it happened? He says, because they were sent in a camp. And as a result, what took place was, he said, find the sin, find the sinner, and you'll have to deal with it. Well, Achan and his entire family were killed as a result of his actions because his actions actually were the means by which other people died. And therefore, he and his family was held accountable for that. But it refers to Achan as being a son of Zerah. Now, Zerah was many generations before, but Achan was in his line. So it directly attached Achan and Zerah uh, together. Well, that's what we have with Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. We see several lines of them going down, but it's in a direct line, actually through his mother. His mother was a granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is now upon the throne, and he's going to be the one who is leading when the Persians and the Medes come in and take over and overthrow them. And Babylon is now under the control of the Medes and the Persians, Cyrus and Darius of what we're reading. Well, in light of that, what Daniel does is take us back to when Belshazzar, who, if I'm not mistaken, reigned for about 12 years. 
when he was upon the throne. Daniel was there in Babylon that entire time, uh, which they were in captivity for 70 years, and he prophesied for uh, the 95% of that time of those 70 years that he was under their rule and leadership and uh, pretty much the whole time. And he's going to then take us back to when he received this word. Now, the word that he receives that you see in chapter 7 in 8 ties back to Nebuchadnezzar as far as in chapter number 2 when he had his vision. Now, recall he had a vision. And in that vision, Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue. And that statue represented the, his kingdom as well as successive kingdoms that would come down the road all the way up to the Roman Empire. So we're talking about years and years and years of prophetic, prophetic vision and dreams and interpretation and revelation that we see Daniel as the wise servant of the Lord who was at the mercy of God, who was given supernatural gifts to be able to not only interpret what a dream meant, but also know what somebody dreamed, and that could only happen by the hand of God. So chapter 7 and 8 is just a follow-up with just some various descriptions of these future kingdoms. For an example, the Medes and the Persians. It starts with the Babylonians, with Nebuchadnezzar himself, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Grecian Empire, and then the Roman Empire, because these empires would be in charge or taken over and be world dominant in that day. God gives us these prophetic views of what's going to come in the future. Him who knows what's in the dark, he sees what we can't see. And that's what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in chapter number two. Our God sees in the dark. Therefore, he sees in the future. And he also reveals the future to us as well. That's why when you read the book of Revelation and you're reading about things about Israel and even things that are going on in Israel right now with them under siege and at war, uh, we know these things are going to come. We know these things are going to come about. And we also want to pray for them because the scriptures teach us to pray for the peace of Israel. And at the same time, we also see in other places where God says that he scattered his people. And when he scattered them, God would preserve them as a people over time. And he has for 2,000 plus years, has kept them, has preserved them. But God doesn't always protect them. And he tells us that. Matter of fact, I'm going to read a passage to you out of the book of Ezekiel. Out of the book of Ezekiel. And he says this specifically in Ezekiel chapter number 39, uh, when God moved his people out, he dispersed them. He tells us why he did it. He tells us what's going to happen to his people over a period of time. He tells us that he's going to keep them in the sense of preserving them as a nation, unlike any other nation that's been preserved. But he also tells us that he uh, will not always protect them, even though he preserves them, but he also tells us he has a future plan for them. And in chapter number 39 of the book of Ezekiel, in verse number 21, it reads like this, I will set my glory among the nations. So whatever God is doing, and you'll hear it in this as well, we'll see it throughout the scriptures, we can always say whatever God does, it is that his name and the knowledge of his glory, his splendor, and his saving power will be spread throughout the world. And I want to be part of that. And those that fear the Lord, that trust the Lord, that give place to him and take him at his word, they, number one, more than anything, they want to know him themselves. And the second thing we see happening is they, they want to make him known. Now, that's God living within them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost living within them. The Bible refers that in Isaiah 9 as the zeal of the Lord of hosts. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform everything God says that he will do. And not only will he do it prophetically throughout the world, but he does it in and through his people. And he will do things so that all the world will marvel at him. And that's some of the things we see going on in Israel now. That's some of the things that are still yet to happen. There's much more to come from what we understand in the word of God that will take place. 
But he says this, I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. Now, this is going to be in direct regard to Israel and then the nations where he sent them. Because Jeremiah tells us, and there, there's other places, every nation upon the planet, wherever God has sent his people, God will deal with. Scripture says God will eventually destroy. So everywhere there is a Jew by DNA, by bloodline, that his people have been dispersed over the last 2,000 plus years, 2,500 years, because the northern ten tribes had already been dispersed. Then the southern tribe were taken over by the Babylonians, but they went back and lived through the times of Jesus. And in A.D. 70, the Roman Empire, for which Daniel talks about, destroyed Jerusalem and the people in Judah and the people have been spread out ever since. And in 1948, they started coming back. There's been wars that have gone on since then, but there's a lot of things that are still going to happen and take place within that nation. But the people still around the world, there's still people, there's still Jews around the world right now. So this is what he says. So the house of Israel, this is verse 22 of Ezekiel 39. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward. Talking about a future day. The Gentile shall know the nations, that's the Gentiles, the non-Jew, that are not Jews. The nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. Iniquity is that inward wickedness that moves us and motivates sin in our life. And the Jews in those days operated out of iniquity and therefore that's what God did to spread them out as a form of his judgment. But he's going to do something supernatural. Romans talks about it. Chapter number 11. There's coming a day when God's going to draw his people back. And God's going to reveal himself to his people. And God's going to reveal himself to the nations. And they will know his judgment. He's not going to leave it up to men to see that it is done. He's going to do this. So verse 23 says, The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me, says the Lord. Therefore I, God, hid my face from them, I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. That's why we see today that a Jew that does not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is the reason why there was a partial blindness Romans teaches us about upon the nation of Israel. And the reason God did that is so that in his wisdom, he opened up salvation to people like you and me that are not of a Jewish heritage, who are of the nations, who are the Gentiles of the Gentile world, God says that the Jews wouldn't, couldn't, and shouldn't. And the reason he did that, John chapter 12 teaches us this. Romans 11 teaches us this. In God's wisdom, he says they wouldn't, they couldn't, and they shouldn't. So that we would, could, and should receive salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. God opened the door to people like you and me to come in through his son and only through the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus can people be saved. So therefore, even for the Jew today, they must come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't hear, like for an example, everything we're hearing about what's happened in the last two days, we don't hear one plea from those who are authentic Jews who have not placed their confidence and trust in Jesus. They're not calling on Jesus. They're not asking Jesus to do a work as of yet. Their leaders are not pleading with Jesus. They're dependent upon their abilities. They're dependent upon others to support them. They're dependent on a lot of things. And in their mind, in their way of thinking, they think and they're doing the right thing, but they're still under the wrath of God. 
And therefore, that's why they don't call out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all genuine, authentic believers are seekers and sensitive to the message of God. And they seek and serve Jesus specifically. They're not ashamed of him. They're not ashamed of his name. They're confident in him. They call on him. They're committed to him. They follow him. And God says right here that he spread them out because of their uncleanness, because of their wickedness, because of their iniquity. And he says in verse number 24, according to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I've dealt with them and have hidden my face from them. Therefore, Thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. That day hadn't come yet. It's coming though. We just don't know when it will happen, but we do know it will happen this way. And I will be jealous for my holy name, the scripture says. And the word jealous means to be zealous for my holy name. God's passionate zeal will be manifested in him working out a promise that he made to Abraham and his descendants of what he would do in the future day. Now, Romans teaches us, chapter 9, that everybody that's a Jew is not of the Lord. It's only through faith. This is that hidden face of God. They can't see him by faith in the Lord Jesus. They don't see Jesus as God. And the scripture says that those that don't recognize God in Jesus are those that don't obey the gospel. That's in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And there will be wrath upon those that don't recognize God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, they don't obey his good news as a way of life. And the reason the Jews don't as a whole is that God hid his face from them. They are still in that blindness until God has completed his work among the nations with the Gentiles. Then he says this, verse 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I'll bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I'll be zealous for my holy name. Verse 26. After, after, this will be after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness, which they were unfaithful to me when they dealt, dealt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of the enemy's lands and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them in the captivity among the nations, but also I've brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. None of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Currently, this is has not happened. Currently, this is not going on. Is God bringing his people back? Yes. Have they been going back? Yes. But there's going to come a day that this is going to be quite unique, unlike any other time in history. And all the Jews that he manifests himself to, will he'll bring them back and not leave one of them among the nations. And the nations that he delivers them from, like America, and like Europe, and like Africa, and every other nation around the world, God says, and I believe it's in Jeremiah 30, that God will deal with those nations in that time. But right now, what God is doing is that he has made a commitment to fill the earth up with the glory of his splendor and saving grace. Now, his people, like myself, that trust him, that recognize I'm a disciple and as a disciple, I follow the Lord. And as I follow the Lord, he equips me, makes me able, prepares me to be a fisher of men. He's teaching me. He's always teaching me. He's always helping me. He's the one who is going to proclaim through my life uh, to rescue people according to his will. So, uh, but this is also going to happen to his people one day. When I say his people, I'm just talking about the nation of Israel. We declare them as his people because of a covenant eternal promise God made to preserve them. But as we read in this passage, God doesn't always protect them. 
he will preserve them. There's nobody going to annihilate them. There's nobody going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Even though the enemy has attempted to, even though the contenders and the beast have attempted to do this, and they will continue to do that, they will always be a people. And there will be a group of them at some point who will see Jesus in his fullness. And when they do, he will be to them what he is to every believer today what a blessing now who is at work doing all this well it's God so in Daniel chapter number two I just had a couple of questions I was going to ask our folks today and the reason we're doing this today is that we had a scheduled fellowship and a time where we were going to eat and break bread together today after our morning service but my bride had come down with and tested positive for COVID. And I'd been over to church bringing food and all that. And we just decided for the safety of everyone, seeing that I'd done carried all this over here over the last day or two, that we would instead go online and do this service this morning. But what I was going to prepare to give away to you today was just ask some of these questions and look at how, all this that we see in Daniel just keeps pointing to a God who is sovereign, a God who is more than able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask or more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever think. And that he, as according to what we've been reading, not only does he know what's going to happen in the future, but we see in Daniel's writings that it's not that he just acts on what he knows, that he one who orchestrates, designs, and curates the events of present, the events in the past, and that which the plans of God in the future. We can rest in him that he is God of today. The same God that spoke life into Daniel, the same God that gave him the dream of Nebuchadnezzar's statue and then gave him the interpretation of that dream. The same God that gave Daniel dreams that he could see of what the future was going to look like in the coming kingdoms who would rule and reign all the way up to the ancient of days, he says, all the way up to the great white throne of judgment when books are open and judgments are declared and the Antichrist prior to that would be cast into the lake of fire and then everything that is not of God and everything that don't belong to him will will be burnt up in fervent heat and he will cast everything that is not his into the lake of fire and those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be separated from him from all eternity. So Daniel saw, he, from that point, he could see the entirety of human history to the very end that God had given to him. No, not every tiny little detail, but the idea of him being able to uh, see the specifics of kingdom leaders and rulers and nations and who would come. And then he gives them these descriptions of beasts how they are like a lion and a leopard and a goat and a ram and all these pictures of these beasts who operate instinctively out of their natural self and these beastly contenders are going to manifest to its ultimate in the Antichrist that we see in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. Daniel talks about them. And these contenders rise up to refute and refuse and replace. That's what an antichrist does. And they're beastly contenders because they operate and function out of themselves, out of their natural self, even though there's powers behind them like Satan behind them. But they contend for the glory of God in people's lives. And these antichrists, these contenders, as John would say, they've in the world right now. And that lawlessness that they manifest, that they don't want anyone to govern their lives or govern their rights, or they feel like they have the right to do what they want to do in their life. That's lawlessness. And what Jesus came to do upon the cross for his people, First uh, John chapter 3 says he destroys that spirit of lawlessness in his people where they submit and they surrender and become sensitive servants 
who sacrificially lay their life down to follow after the Lord. And they love like Jesus and they don't love like Cain. And the only one that can make that kind of difference in a world gone bad because of a fallen nature in all of us is Jesus himself. And he is sovereign over all this. So when we read things like this, chapter number two, look in Daniel chapter number two, and it's in relationship to this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that covers a scope of human history for us. It says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. It, he couldn't rest. He couldn't sleep. Then the king gave command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, which most of all that we see in Daniel was written actually in Aramaic. And he said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. He's already made his mind up when they came. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now, this is another sovereign thing of God because there was nobody that would be able to tell what the king dreamt. Now, it's one thing if he described it to you and then you come off the cuff with some off-the-wall interpretation of what it possibly could mean. But he said, no, I've already made my mind up that you must tell me what the dream that I have and then tell me what it means. And then all these that he depended upon for his counsel, all these that he depended upon to be the smartest and the brightest and the best that the society had to offer from all these various nations that they had taken captive and brought in, including people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he said, you got to tell me what it is. And they, like we would say today, there's nobody that can tell you exactly what you uh, dreamt. You tell us, we'll tell you what it meant. Well, they in a panic. And remember, this is all a sovereign thing. This is all a God thing. God put this in the heart of the king, meaning in his mind, to set this up this way. You see, we live in a society that that doesn't want to believe God is able to control or dictate the thinking and the purposes and the will of a person. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is a prime case that we see that God is able. I wouldn't want a God who couldn't do that. I wouldn't want, I, I wouldn't be able to trust a God who, who could only see what people would do, but had no power to do anything about what the people would do. So here it is, and I'll give you just a couple passages in a moment to give an indication of how all this came about. But it rolls right in line with God's purposes. Why? Because God did have a person. And this person was named Daniel, who understood he didn't have the capability of doing this outside of a divine touch that God gave him a revelation. God gave him an interpretation. And therefore, he was able to reveal to the king not only what he was dreaming, but also what this dream really meant. So here's just a, a couple things that we want to ask. Who raised this king up? Who was it that raised up Nebuchadnezzar? Who did this? Well, hold your spot there and turn to Jeremiah chapter number 27. There's, there's quite a few passages that would lead us to this, but for time's sake this morning, I'm just going to give you a couple and it should be enough and sufficient for you to hold on to. But Jeremiah 27, Jeremiah 27, I want you to look at this. Let's see what God says. He was wanting to put a word out so that everybody would know this. But in Jeremiah 27, 
in verse number four, God says, And command them to say to their masters, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters. This is what God says. Number one, I have made the earth. And all God's people said, Amen. I have made the earth. I have made man. And I've made the beasts that are on the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it, that is man, beast, and the earth to whom it seemed proper to me. I have given whom it seemed proper to me. This God hadn't changed. My God hasn't changed. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So what we have here is a revelation in Jeremiah that God is wanting to unveil to the people in his day, to the kings and everyone of all nations that God has given whoever he's given authority to, to rule and reign, God gave it. It don't happen by accident. And this is what he's bringing out right here. He also says in verse number six, and now I at this time have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He calls him my servant and the beast of the field. I have also given him to serve him. My servant and the beast of the field. I have also given him to serve him. That would include everybody. Everybody was given into the authority and hand of Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time did not know the Lord, did not have an intimate relationship with the Lord. But God was doing things in his life that were overriding the man himself and the man's thinking and what he was going to do. And we, we can point out this throughout the scriptures to see it, but I'll show you here in Jeremiah and Daniel. Verse 7. So all nations shall serve him and his sons and his son's son until the time of his land comes and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. So what this tells us is that God raised up a king. He raised up a nation. He took a mighty small group of people and empowered them in such a way that nobody was able to withstand them. Because God had in his might, in his power, by his sovereign choice, had chose to raise up this nation and give them what he gave them and put them in power and then use them as a chastening means upon the nation of Judah. He would also conquer all the nations at that time, but God was going to bring his people into captivity for 70 years. When that time frame come to an end, God would be done with Babylon. He would be done with Nebuchadnezzar and his sons. And then somebody else was going to rule and reign. And that would be the Medes and the Persians. God would raise up another servant, Cyrus. And he would come in, he and Darius, as we see in Daniel's writings. And they would take over as the Medes and the Persians. And then another conqueror would rise when he was done with the Medes and the Persians. And Alexander the Great and the Grecian army would overcome the Persians and the Medes and the rest of the world at that time and absorb all these kingdoms as Daniel speaks of in chapter 7 and in chapter number 8. So what we see here in verse number 8, and it shall come to be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord, and I will punish them with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, do not listen to your false prophets or your false diviners or your false dreamers and your false soothsayers and your false sorcerers who speak to you that you shall not serve the king of Babylon. God said, do, I'm telling you up front, this is what's going to happen and nothing's going to stop it. You can't turn it back. All you can do is serve them. That's all you can do is serve them. If you don't serve them, you'll die. You'll be punished by them. 
So what God has done then, we see it right here. Now, like I said, we can go to various other places through Jeremiah, give you a couple to look up. Jeremiah 21, 7, Jeremiah 22, and verse 25, I believe it is. Jeremiah 25, 9, Jeremiah 28, 14, Jeremiah 50 and 23, and also 50 in verse number Nine, And you could always go back on this live and re-listen to some of these things if you wasn't able to keep up with that. But go back to Daniel for an example. Instead of going to chapter 2, look over in chapter number uh, 4. Look in chapter number 4. There's another dream given that Nebuchadnezzar had. And he wanted Daniel to give him the interpretation of it and it was about a great tree and he couldn't figure out what it was and look if you would in verse number 20 just you could read this whole thing most of you already have that keep up with I read it in Daniel but in verse number 20 of Daniel 4 it says the tree that you saw which grew and became strong whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen all over the earth whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant in which was food for all under which the beast of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the heavens had their home. He says, King, it is you. It is you, O King. You have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times pass over. He said, this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which he came down upon the Lord, which has come down upon the Lord, the King. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beast, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and they shall wet you with the dew of heavens, and seven times shall pass, seven years shall pass, and here's the point, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he chooses. So until Nebuchadnezzar came to that place, he was driven, and that's what we're going to see. He walked through his house and declared what he had done, and therefore God took it all from him, and then drove him out into the fields, and for seven years, he had the mind of a beast. Now, that was a sovereign work that God had warned him was coming. He didn't heed that warning. But remember, God does what he wants, when he wants, however he wants, with whomever he wants, whatever he wants to do. And what we to do is to praise him. We want to make him known. And that's what he's saying here, that until you come to the conclusion that it is God who governs the affairs of men. He's the one who gave you your kingdom and raised you up that nobody could withstand you. And God is going to raise up another kingdom like the Medes and the Persians. That's what he says. I've raised him up and I will cause him to conquer. This is a God. This is what God does and what God is doing. He says right here, look in verse number 32 of chapter 4 and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field they shall make you to eat grass like oxen seven times you shall pass over until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and he gives kingdoms he gives it to whomever he chooses there's not one thing going on in this world today that God, number one, is not aware of. Number two, that God doesn't have an answer and solution for. Number three, there's no powers that be that are not in authority apart from the divine will of God. Now, some of those powers are for judgment. Nebuchadnezzar was in power because of judgment over Israel, over Judah. That's what he was in power for. That's why God raised him up. God raised up the Medes and the Persians for what? 
to deliver his people and bring them back to Jerusalem. And then we're going to see the Grecians and the Romans and everything that is done. No different than what Acts teaches us, that by the predetermined will of God, men did what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ because it was determined and planned and predestined to be exactly what it would be. Now, does God still hold men accountable? Of course, we see this with Nebuchadnezzar. We see this with the Romans and with the Jews. We see this with the nations. God holds all men accountable to their actions, even when he uses them to do something they don't even know he's using them to do, as it was with Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't know that this was God who raised him up. Matter of fact, look in chapter number 5. Look in chapter number 5. Look in verse number 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, this is dealing with Belshazzar, grandson, let your gifts be for you. He wanted to offer gifts. Who could interpret the handwriting on the wall? And nobody could interpret it. There was only one. Remember, a providential thing. God had only one person set aside to give the interpretation of it because God was what? Displaying His glory in His servant to magnify His name and His will. That's why nobody else could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. That's why nobody else could interpret the handwriting on the wall because God had a plan and a purpose and He was going to bring a revelation in it so when it happened, everybody would know who was behind it. That's what these dreams and these revelations and these interpretations when they occur, when they come about, as God said they would, you couldn't give any other answer than God. God did this. God did this. And if that is not being manifested in my life more and more, where I'm seeing things exactly the way God intended it to be seen and manifested for what God intended to be manifested, I'm, I'm out of touch. I'm, I'm disconnected somewhere with the Lord because I want to be able to say, hey, God said it was going to be this way and there it is. This is the, the will and the work of God being manifested right before us. But this is what he tells him in verse number 18. O King, the Most High gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom. He gave him majesty. He gave him glory. He gave him honor. It was given by God, not taken by Nebuchadnezzar, not manipulated by Nebuchadnezzar, not gathered together out of his wit and his strategies and his counselors and all that come with being a king over a kingdom, this was all granted unto him. He would have never been what he was without God giving it to him. God gave it to him. We'll never be the new creature in Christ Jesus without God giving it to us. We'll never be the disciple maker for the Lord without God giving it to us. We'll never be saved by grace through faith unless God gives it to us. And here it is, verse number 19. And because of the majesty that God gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him whomever he wished he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. You see, Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize. He didn't realize who gave it to him, even though Daniel told him who gave it to him. He didn't realize who gave him the ability to cause nations to tremble and to conquer and take over. He had an unleashed power from God to overthrow everybody and everybody be afraid of him and fall at his knees, but he took it the wrong way. He then became prideful. And what does the scripture say? God resists the proud, but gives more grace to who? The humble. Verse 21 of chapter 5. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made. His heart was made. Who made his heart? God made his heart. 
God made his mind. And his dwelling was with the wild donkey. So they fed him grass like oxen, oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till the, till, until he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Warning for all of us. Verse 22. But you, his son, great-grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Wow. You see, God does what he does so that we can know. That we can then properly accept, properly receive, properly respond to what we know. And what do we know from this great book? God is sovereign. That he does what he wants, when he wants, with whomever he wants, however he wants. He's never wrong. He never does it wrong. He always does it right, no matter how it gets done. And therefore, I want to submit myself to him and say, Lord, I want to be in on knowing you and making you known in this world because I know that's what you're doing. So you, you go back to who gave this king, who raised this king up? God did. Who gave him his power? God gave him his power. Who gave him the nations and his resources? God gave it to him. Who gave him these dreams? God gave him these dreams. Who gave him the mind to have the dream revealed? God gave a servant and gave him the mindset to make sure whoever was to interpret the dream would also need to what? Tell him what the dream was. Who put that in his mind? God put it in his mind. Who overcome his will? God overcome his will to do that. The Bible is filled with how God overcome and fulfilled his purposes in men's lives and women's lives throughout history. And therefore, we then want to come to him and say, God, you're the only one that can change me. You're the only one that can establish my thoughts. As Proverbs 16, 3 would say that the, that when we commit unto the Lord, he will establish our thinking. He offers us the invitation to surrender and submit and to seek him. And then he will establish our thinking, establishing our purpose, establishing our plans that we remain humble and meek with him to follow after him. And man, these things bless my heart. They bless me. They bless me. So who gave him the interpreter? Daniel. God gave him the interpreter, Daniel. And who gave him the vision and the vision of what was to come in the future? God gave it all. And God wants to give you and I a vision of who he is, what he's doing today, what he has plans to come, how he's going to work these things out and who he's going to use to get them done. He's revealed these things to us in his message. And I would encourage each of you, Briggs Chapel and whoever else has joined us this morning or will watch this at a later time that you give yourself over to God who still reigns and gives kingdoms to whomever he chooses to give nations to whomever he chooses to give. That's why he teaches us that we're to pray for those in authority, that we still have a work to do, and we want to do that work in peace. But even if we can't do it in peace, we still have a work to accomplish. That's why we lift up holy hands without any wrath or doubting, without any anxious uh, spirit or animosity in our spirit to what God has elevated and put upon the throne who governs nations. Sometimes God gives them as blessings. Sometimes the blessing comes as chastisement. Sometimes it comes as judgment. That's out of our control of what he gives and when he gives it and why he gives it. But what is within our control is trusting him. Just putting our confidence and faith in him. He's already told us from beginning to end, what he's going to do. We already know who wins. We already know when God fights, he always wins. We already know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper according to the enemy, but that God's going to use it to what manifest his glory and his might and his power 
and that he himself has proven it time and time again of just how glorious, gracious, gentle, and good he really is. And the greatest demonstration of that is his great gift of his son, that God gave us himself, and that when we entrust ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and give ourselves over to him, that we turn to him and therefore turn from putting confidence in everything else, God does something in our life to put us on a course to following after him. So by faith today, I trust the Lord and I couldn't trust him apart from his grace. So I thank him today for his redeeming and matchless and sufficient grace that he will carry us through, that he'll bring us through. As we see throughout the book of Daniel, you see the fire had no power over those three boys who were willing to die for the name of their God. You see that the lions had no power, that God delivered them from the power of the lion and the power of fire, who what? Put their confidence in the Lord. And even if the fire burn them up, even if the lions ate Daniel, God was still God and they still would have trusted him with their life. God just delivered them through it, just like he's going to deliver us through things. He doesn't keep us from stuff. He just delivers us through it to his glory. As Psalms would teach us, many are the afflictions in Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But God delivers out of, or the idea, to get out of it, you had to go through it. If you had to go in it, you had to go through it, and you had to come out of it. So there's the picture there, that he didn't keep us from things, he just delivers us through them. Now sometimes we'll be hurt, sometimes we will die. Sometimes the enemy is given authority over us, but it never works out to the intent that the enemy thought it would. Not when you are in the hands of the Almighty. He always uses things, things that the enemy intended for bad. God works it out for the good. And what a glorious thought. Amen. What a glorious thought. So it all means something. It all has a purpose to it because God never does anything accidentally. You can't accidentally obey him and he never does anything accidentally. To obey him, you got to believe him. To believe him, you had to have a word from him. To have a word from him, you had to hear from him. And when you hear from him, you see him. You see what he's doing, what he's giving, and you agree with it. You act on it. And you trust him through it. Now you walk in it. You walk it out. And when you do, God does what nobody else can do from the beginning to the end of it. And that is magnify himself in, with, and through our lives. So can we trust him, church? You can trust him. Has he already given us a light revelation and interpretation of what is still yet to come? Can we look back at the past and see that God's word is enduring and faithful and therefore it gives us comfort that if he has not wavered once, if he's not failed once, if he's done exactly what he said he would do and how we would do it, what will he then do in the days ahead? It will be exactly the way that it will. he has promised it to be. So what can we do today in the present? We can simply trust him with it all. We can trust him with it all. And to him be the glory. So enjoy your time as you keep reading in the book of Daniel. It's rich. It's good. You're getting into chapter 9 tomorrow. It's going to get a little more specific of what's to come when Jesus is on the scene and what is to come after that and what is still yet. We just come out of the book of Revelation. We was in the book of Zechariah. We've read through both First and Second Thessalonians. And all these truths from Zechariah to Revelation to the books of Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians and Thessalonica, and now Daniel, they're all interwoven with one another. And God is able. Just remember that. He is able. Let me give you one more thing out of the book of Ezekiel. It's come to mind in this idea of what God will do and how he was going to do things even in the future. And we can trust him to do things uh, that are beyond us, that are out of our control, that we can't even do for ourselves. What he would do in us, but also what he's going to do with people 
around us and even in the future. So look back at Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel. Look in chapter number 30. Well, chapter 37 is about the restoration of the nation of Israel. Those dry bones that God is going to resurrect, give life to them again. He's promised that. It's going to happen. We see it beginning. We don't see it completely in its transfer as of yet. We see it all coming together as Ezekiel prophesied and spoke over those dry bones how the pieces all started coming together and that it stood on its feet but it still didn't have life. Well, Israel as a whole still don't have life. They don't have life yet, meaning life from God in them yet. They don't have the Spirit of God in them yet. They are in that preserving phase, but not in that protection phase. But God is going to keep them until He's ready to pour life, His Spirit into them when He draws them all back. But in chapter number 38, in chapter number 38, look at what God tells the nations He's going to do to them and verse number 10, 3810. And then I'll, I'll show you also in the rest of this chapter. But he says, thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts, that thoughts, thinking, thoughts lead to plans. Thoughts and plans leads to purposes and ideologies. He says, in that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind. And you will make an evil plan. Now, now God's not telling them that this is going to happen of their own accord. God is telling us of what's going to happen, of what he allows to take place when the Antichrist comes on the scene and he begins to manipulate and pull people together and these plans gather together where everybody wants to come and fight against this one nation that he's going to give life to again. And this is what he says. Look over in verse 16. He says, you will come up against my people Israel and you will come like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the later days that I, God, will bring you against my land so that the nation may know, the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. God says, I got a plan for you, nations. And I'm going to put it in your heart and in your mind. And your objective will be an evil plan to destroy my people. And I will whistle and draw you in. I'll bring you to fight against my people. The book of Revelation chapter 17, 17 tells us that God is doing this. The book of Zechariah 14 tells us this is all God doing this. So what is God doing? He's overcoming the will and the mind and the heart of people and giving them a plan to come and fight against his people. And he's going to destroy them. And he will be hallowed in his judgment upon them when they all gather all the nations of the world to come against this small group of people that he gathers out of the nations and brings back to his people. God says this is what he is going to do. So is he uh, worth trusting? Yes, he is. Is it a warning of the cost of not trusting him? Oh, yes, it is. Is it something that we can see that, hey, th the future and today ain't up to man what's going to happen. Even though evil is prevalent, the lawlessness is at work. We see it. But who ultimately, who ultimately today is in control in the sense that he himself is at work among all, as the scripture says, he even uses the wicked. Proverbs 16, 4 says that the Lord has made all for himself, even the wicked for the day of doom or the day of destruction here are the wicked that he's going to call to this place in that day Ezekiel and Daniel and Joel and Hosea and other passages all speak of these future events that are going to come the key is I want to be part of his work I want to know that I'm part of his work and I want to make his work known these that he's talking about here and the reason he gives us this is so that when it happens, when it happens, we won't point the finger to the enemy and say, look what they're doing. We'll be able to say, 
Look what God's doing. Look what God has done. He's already told us he was going to do it. And he even allows us to pray before he ever does it. Ezekiel 36 and all that he talks about the new heart and the hearts of stone and the heart of flesh that becomes sensitive to God. When he does this in the nation of Israel, he says in verse number 37 of chapter 36, thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire. The word inquire has the idea asked to pray to me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. And before I do it, I'm going to let my people ask me to do what I've already said I'm going to do so that when I do do it, my people know who did it. And they won't give the credit to anybody else but me. And that's how I want to live my life. I want to give all credit, all glory, all majesty, all honor to him who is worthy. To him who is worthy. So family we love you. We can't help but thank God for you. I'm so delighted that Stephanie and I. Can serve y'all. Be part of what God is doing. For this technology right here. To be able to serve you today. In spite of being in a position. Where we couldn't gather today. And that we can continue to celebrate Jesus. Celebrate life. And celebrate his redeeming grace. And may he use it. May he use it. May he use it and use us for his glory. So I encourage you, keep seeking him, keep serving him, keep celebrating him, and invite other people to join you in the great work. We love y'all and look forward to the next time we'll get to hope.